Broadcasting live from the KVXL studios at Liberty Baptist Church in Las Vegas. Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. The Frittle Show with Crystal Heath. I've said that we must be cautious in claiming God is on our side. I think the real question we must answer is, are we on his side? Faith, family, freedom. For me, it's very simple. I think we've got to, we've got to get the country back on the right track with the most inspiring agenda. A voice in the desert. Now, here's Crystal Heath. All right. Hey, Las Vegas. Hello, America. Everybody that's tuning in and concerned or gleeful or depressed, whatever state you are in, I'm here to tell you it is okay. Because guess what? God was still on his throne when Donald Trump was president. God was still on his throne when Barack Obama was president. God was still on his throne when George W. Bush was president. God was still on his throne when Abraham Lincoln was president, George Washington president. Before this country was even founded, Jesus is still king. And it doesn't matter who the president is. You do not have to be discouraged, depressed, defeated, downtrodden. Your hope is not in the president of the United States. Even if you are a Biden supporter, that should not be the focus of of your life. Now, of course, that said, as Americans, what happens in our political system affects us and we should be involved in our political process and understand how things work and be informed and educated individuals. I, I actually wrote a book about this and you, you can pick it up on Amazon or from me directly. It's called God in Government. Check it out. So we are going to today, I'm going to try and answer and address as many of the concerns as I have uh, gotten this week as I possibly can. Uh, I, I may miss some. If I miss any things that you're like, well, what about this? What about this? Feel free to shoot me a message uh, or a comment on Facebook or Twitter. You can find me at The Frittle and I will try to address those uh, as quickly as possible. I apologize. I know there's some of you that I still haven't gotten to answering your questions yet that you've sent to me. It has been a, a crazy week, as I'm sure many of you have had as well. And I have a litter of puppies at my house that have uh, reached an age of needing more care at the same time as all of the election craziness. So my life has just been a little bit um, disheveled, I guess you could say, the last few days. But uh, I, I'm so, so grateful to see how many people not only were involved in this election, but are concerned about the results of this election and are trying to educate themselves on the process and why we have the results that we do and how things work. I think this is great for our country. And I do believe that Joe Biden got a record number of votes. I don't think that anyone's going to dispute that. Even with illegitimate ballots, I believe that he got a record turnout. I have no doubt about that whatsoever. I also believe that Donald Trump garnered more votes than any other president in the past. He blew past uh, Obama's 2008 record, just like Biden did. Now, of course, Biden would be having more in the popular vote total than Trump, but Trump's numbers are still also historic. I think that they both saw historic numbers. Of course, COVID is still here, despite Trump or Biden potentially becoming president. It is actually still, you know, happening. You just don't hear anyone talking about it anymore. The mainstream media, it doesn't seem to really care so much about COVID at this point. Rioting is still happening. New York City, D.C., Portland, you know, those right-wing hotbeds that overwhelmingly voted for Biden but are now protesting because Trump isn't winning uh, or something. But, I, I, you know, I thought that Biden said if, if he won that that peace would be restored and everything would be fine and normal and, and happiness would reign again throughout our country, at least amongst his supporters, because uh, I, I, I don't see the Trump people uh, tearing up those cities. But, you know, uh, maybe that's just me. Maybe I haven't seen the right articles yet. Maybe I maybe I just haven't gotten enough uh, of CNN quite uh, quite yet <laughs> today. So let me do just a little bit of a of a recap of a couple things and then we'll dive into the potential fraud issue, and so on. So, we had both sides come out, whether uh, it was Trump himself or uh, Trump himself, I think it was early Wednesday morning, and then later Wednesday morning, the Biden campaign had a spokesperson, one of their lawyers come out, and then they also, later Wednesday, on their website, it uh, there's you can 
I have a screenshot of it if you'd like to see it. But Biden's website had him show, said that he won the election. So both candidates come out before uh, the, the votes have all been counted and say that they have won the election on Wednesday. That is problematic. Okay, There needs to be some sort of correction there, some sort of system to where we're not saying that we're the winner before the thing is over. Uh, another thing that's interesting is that pollsters seem to be becoming more inaccurate with each passing election. And you might say, well, no, because they predicted that Biden would win. They did predict that Biden would win. However, the percentages by which they predicted he would win were way off. Some cases more than 15 points off, like in Wisconsin. And if you've ever worked in any kind of political sphere, you understand that a continual push of, well, your guy can't win, your guy can't win, your guy can't win, or this is the results, this is the results, this is the results, that's opposing the candidate you don't like. That's just a, that's a, that's a way to try to create a, a voter suppression in the form of creating in your opponent's supporters' minds a myth of, well, my guy can't win, so I don't need to vote. So our collecting polling and data systems look like they probably need to be overhauled as well. But it is interesting to note that if you look at Republican polls and internals prior to the election, they were far, far closer to the results we're actually seeing than what we were getting from the mainstream media. But, you know, the mainstream media couldn't possibly be biased and Republicans most definitely always must be. Or something like that. And whether or not he wins, which at this point, and I'll explain in a minute, but I, I think that Joe Biden is going to win here, uh, and he's going to be declared a winner, I think, uh, today, if he has not already by mainstream media. I don't know because I haven't had a chance to, to turn on any of the big conglomerates yet today because I've been trying to get this podcast up as quickly as possible for you. But pollsters and experts were also highly incorrect in Trump's overall perception in the country. Both the vote tallies and turnout demonstrate that the president and his agenda was and are way more popular than any of the mainstream care to admit. This was not a good week for Democrats. Yes, they're going to gain the White House, but I'm telling you internally, this was not a good week for them. I'll get into more of this uh, later on in the program. But it's also, to me, very, very interesting that we saw Trump make major strides in pretty much every minority demographic and in fact every demographic except I believe uh, white college educated voters which is very interesting he had a 50% jump among his black supporters I, I believe well I, I, I'm not 100% sure on this but his numbers compared to what Bush got uh, for minority and Hispanic voters specifically I believe he has Bush level numbers uh, from 2004 with Hispanic voters. He has record level numbers with almost every minority group for any Republican candidate ever. So this mantra of Trump is racist, Trump is evil, Trump hates you, and so does everybody on the right, clearly did not carry over into the actual results that we are seeing. Um, let's see, what else do I want to say before we jump into this? Um, actually, I think that's good. I think that's a good summary. Let's just, let's just jump into this. I'm calling it the election deception, and there's a question mark after that on purpose. Is there an election deception going on here? So let's, let's talk about this, because one side is saying there is most definitely fraud happening, and it is widespread, and there is a potential of a stolen election. And then you have the other side that's saying that is absolutely ridiculous. Voter fraud does not happen on a widespread scale. In fact, it hardly ever happens at all, and the FBI says so, and so definitely then that must be true. So which is it? Let me put it this way. Accusations of widespread voter fraud are extremely serious. They should be accompanied by proof and proof that is more than simply anecdotal or meme-worthy. Now, there also needs to be, <laughs> I don't see how this could be even remotely controversial, but I'm sure it will be, there needs to be some sort of election reform and transparency because it is the optics that we are seeing all around the country, no, I shouldn't say all around the country, in many states, I, you could probably figure out which ones they are, that are making voters highly uncomfortable not only with the process, but with the potential results. And by the way, 
if there is a candidate, whether they be mayoral, whether they be for the House, the Senate, president, if a candidate believes that their state is violating election laws in the voting process, they have a right to challenge that in court and to produce evidence in support of their claims. Of course, those people that are saying there is no evidence of voter fraud are also saying we need to investigate to find the evidence, but the evidence isn't there, so you can't. Okay, no. Taking days to legally count ballots, by the way, or votes, actually, because we don't count ballots, we count votes. Uh, And taking days to legally count votes is not fraud. And court challenges to votes cast after the legal voting deadline has passed is not suppression. By the way, Al Gore coming out and saying that he defended counting every legally cast ballot is just amazing to me. He tried to disenfranchise military ballots. You can find this. Just just do some simple Googling. You'll figure it out. He demanded recounts and uh, dividing voter intent only in areas where he thought he had an advantage. Uh, this, is, this has become such a selective memory process for so many people. Al Gore was not trying to get every legally cast ballot counted which is what Trump's team is saying they would like to see. Because everybody was like, well, Trump wants, th- this is ridiculous. He th- he's saying stop the counting. If they stop the counting, he loses. No, no. He was saying stop the counting in places where they have successfully filed legal challenges because poll watchers are saying they're not being able to do their job. If you don't think that's accurate, then you don't have a problem with Trump. You have a problem with people who are saying that they are eyewitnesses to the fraud that is happening. Democrats have questioned the validity of the last three of their losing presidential elections. And, by the way, there were a large faction of Democrats that wanted John Kerry to challenge the results in Ohio in an attempt to get him victorious in his race. So it's not like there is some high ground here (laughs) that Democrats have walked on in not questioning the results and just accepting it and moving on. No. No, and by the way, did anybody, do you remember how back in the summer the media was weirdly obsessed? And, and I'm not one for conspiracies, I'm really not, and some of you aren't going to believe that, simply because I dare to question if there could be something <laughs> to, to this, uh, to the many, 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 many accusations of voter fraud here. So some of you are going to be convinced that I'm just a... Well, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say that because that would be unkind to say about someone else that they were conspiratorial. Although I think there are plenty of them out there. But anyhow, uh, the the media was weirdly obsessed throughout the summer with asking Trump if he would accept without question the results of a Biden victory. And does anybody nobody remembers Hillary telling Joe Biden not to concede under any circumstances? That would just we don't that <laughs> that one is no longer relevant, and it only applied to one candidate. And then there's this argument of, well, but both Al Gore and Hillary Clinton, they both conceded. They did what was best and right for the process. Well, I, okay, but once again, selective memory here. Do you remember that, af- that, when, that when Al Gore and Hillary Clinton conceded, both of their races had already been called by every mainstream, well, except for maybe one or two, I think, in the Gore situation, but every mainstream media outlet, all collective wisdom at the time when those two conceded was that they had lost the electoral college vote. Now, of course, we then found out that Florida was really close and Gore came back and uh, unannounced his concession, if you will. But to say that Trump should have conceded on Wednesday is just outright ridiculous. To even say that Trump should have conceded on Thursday or possibly even on Friday when votes are still being counted and the legal system is still doing its job is not even consistent, let alone accurate. Because I guarantee you, if Al Gore had known that Florida was going the way Florida was going, he would not have conceded. That's why he unconceded. And essentially what you have is a Florida situation in multiple states across the country right now. So no, the president should not concede until every legally cast vote has been counted and the courts make the decision on whether or not the legal process has been followed in the election. Now, I think that Joe Biden is going to be declared the winner, and I think that that uh, situation will stand, and I'll explain that in a little while. But at this point, the president is not hurting anything by not conceding. He is letting the legal system work. Okay, as for voter fraud, 
the history of voter fraud in absentee voting is long and substantiated. But generally speaking, it has not affected our elections because less than 1% of the population generally votes by mail or absentee. Now, what happens when you have COVID? And again, if you're the conspiratorial type, it's you know easy to go down the trail of, wow, was COVID a ploy to get everybody or to, to make mail-in voting uh, commonplace? It makes you suspicious of the states that sent out mail-in ballots to everyone rather than simply those who requested it. I'm not saying that there's truth or accuracy there, but I'm saying you can see how that would be considerably causing some concern for people. Because now, checking postmarks, signatures, and, and dealing with fraud is overwhelming our country because half of the electorate voted by mail. Our system was not prepared for that because we have not ever done anything like that. And we know factually <laughs> that fraud and absentee voting is extensive. And, and I know that there are people that are going to be like, that's just not true. If you would just read the right sources, you would know that's not true. Okay, well, read my sources and you'll see that it is true. And be like, well, but it's not facts. You can't have your own facts. I, I agree. So when you have facts and evidence saying what you say, and I have facts and evidence saying what I say, which facts and evidence are the right ones? Maybe both. Maybe sometimes voter fraud doesn't happen, and maybe sometimes it does. But, you know, I guess, I guess false accusations of an election stolen with ballot fraud undermine our democracy. Kind of like how false accusations of an election stolen by Russia uh, undermines our democracy. But, you know... Whatever, because definitely the president being a Russian operative is far more likely than Philadelphia ever engaging in any sort of voter fraud. Let's stick with that one, why don't we? And I'm not, I don't mean to be sarcastic, although I really was there because that was complete sarcasm. But every American should be concerned about preserving the integrity of the electoral process. This should not be controversial, and it is not partisan to say so. Again, Democrats have questioned results in the last three of their losing elections. But now Republicans are just supposed to sit back and Democrats are all, you need to be like us in 2016 and just accept it. You didn't accept it. You spent four years trying to destroy the results of the 2016 election with, 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 with all kinds of nonsense. It's... The whole, you need to accept it, like, we accepted 2016 argument is so mind-boggling to me. You still haven't accepted the results of the 2016 election. They say that cheating never prospers. Why is that? Because when it does prosper, nobody calls it cheating. <laughs> okay? But fraud is real. Okay, let's talk about this, because uh, I'm getting so distracted now. Election fraud is real, and it's being ignored. The Heritage Foundation did a huge study on this and created a database. Uh, I believe it is close to 2,000 instances. Recent pre-election instances. I believe within the last uh, two to four I think it's it's. Uh, let me see here. It's mostly the 2017-2018 elections looks like. But there is a database of nearly 2,000 verifiable instances of election fraud from the last several years. Not, not votes, not roughly 2,000 votes that were fraudulent, but instances where fraudulent activity occurred. Verifiable instances. You can go look at it. It's, uh, it's on the Heritage Foundation's website. It's heritage.org. They, uh, they have this database, and they list out several... Uh, things there. Let me see if I can get the actual... Okay, it's heritage.org.org slash voter fraud. I'm sorry, it's 1,298 proven instances of voter fraud, 1,121 criminal convictions out of those 1,298 proven instances. What does that tell you? What that should tell you, if, you, if, you're, if, you're, if you're trekking with the math, <laughs> is that... In the vast majority of cases where voter fraud has been proven, or s th th there's a criminal conviction that follows. 
And this is pre this election. Heritage.org slash voter fraud. These are, again, 1,121 criminal convictions. For those of you that are like, it never happens. Show us the proof. Okay, here's proof from before this election, from before everybody was like, what is going on? From before we sent mount, before we had half of the electorate voting by mail. And by the way, by the way, this is very interesting. The LA Times, I think it's the LA Times, let me see. Is it the LA Times? Uh, where is it? I'm pretty sure it's the LA Times. Yeah, here we go. Um, the rejection rate for mail-in ballots this year is lower, um, it's LA Times, let me get the title of the article for you here, mail-in ballots flagged for rejection hit 21,000, and in this article it says, if you scroll down about halfway through, a snapshot of rejection rates reported thus far in Nevada, Florida, North Carolina, and other battleground states show a mixed picture, although overall rejection rates are generally lower than in past, overall rejection rates are generally lower than in past elections. Overall rejection rates are lower than in past elections. Now, let's think about this just using a scientific mathematical process. If you have a system wherein you know if I do this process 10 times, one time out of every 10, we are going to have an error. Well, if you then statistically do that same process 100 times, your odds for error do not decrease. They increase in proportion with the amount of, of how many more times you do the process. So when we go from a system where roughly, I believe it's less than 1% prior to this election, less than 1% of individuals submit their ballot via mail or absentee. Okay, and the rejection rate is usually uh, 1.4, somewhere between 1 and 1.4%. Now, you go from 1% of the American electorate submitting their ballots via mail or absentee to 50% of the country submitting their mail-in ballots by mail or absentee, and you see the rejection rate of these ballots decrease rather than increase across the board in battleground states, that is reason for concern and definite suspicion simply using a general, logical, mathematical, scientific process. If, if you know you do something 10 times and one time it is incorrect, then you know that if you multiply and do that process more times, your margin of error increases. This is not difficult. So to say that there's no possibility that this fraud or any, this can't be happening, this is all a, a Trump scheme. No, it, it's, <laughs> it's a simple logical process to assume that if you have a system where there is known fraud to be proven, and then the area where the most fraud happens in that system, aka in mail-in ballots, is increased 50-fold, you likely will see additional error and fraud in that election. Like, it's, I don't know how that is even... Um, forget all the eyewitnesses' accounts if you want. You don't even need them. You can just look at the data and say, oh, yes, Fraud should increase if we increase our mail-in ballots 50% because mail-in ballots is where most election fraud has happened in the past. And so therefore, if we increase mail-in ballot fraud, we'll likely see an increase, or if we increase mail-in ballots, we'll likely see an increase in mail-in ballot fraud. This is not rocket science. <sighs> you know, two weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago now, I don't even, I can't, I'm losing track of my days. Joe Biden said that his team had the most extensive and inclusive voter fraud organization in the history of American politics. Now, I know a lot of people are saying that's just a slip of the tongue, and I really, at the time, thought it was too, but, you know, it's just one of his gaffes, no big deal, right? And by the way, look up Benford's Law sometime before it's completely scrubbed from the end. Benford's Law, go check that out. Then there's the whole Wisconsin issue. I've seen so many conservatives saying more people have voted in Wisconsin than were registered to vote on November 1st. Okay, well, two problems with that. That's incorrect. More people did not vote in Wisconsin than were registered to vote, though they did see a 90% voter turnout, which is almost statistically impossible, but could be. Uh, the Wisconsin has a same-day uh, voter registration process, so you can register to vote when you go in to vote. So the, the number of registered voters can be higher on election day than it is on their reported total on November 1st. 
So that that meme is not factual that many conservatives have been sharing. What is factual is that there are districts uh, where if you look at, and, and it could be that due to same-day registration that these numbers reflect that, but at this point I haven't seen that. There are areas in Wisconsin where they do have uh, more people voting than they had voters. For example, uh, in a data graph from the Milwaukee County Clerk, Voting Ward 274 shows that their data, their information, shows that prior to the election they have 640 voters. But they have calculated in Ward 274 688 votes for Biden and 602 votes for Trump as of, I think it was, uh, Wednesday afternoon. That would be an equivalent of a turnout of 202%. Now, while it is inaccurate to say that the entire state of Wisconsin saw voter turnout higher than they have registered voters, that, that, that's, while that's incorrect, it would be correct to say that there is concerning numbers in specific wards in Wisconsin where there are significantly higher numbers of votes being counted than there were voters uh, registered based on the Milwaukee County Clerk's own data. Now, it is possible that they <laughs> had a 100% increase in voter registrations on Election Day, but that seems largely unlikely. There are eight other wards reporting turnout percentages of 100% or higher, which again, unlikely. Over 80 wards in Wisconsin reporting 90 to 99% of voter turnout. Possible, but again, Unlikely. I mean, it's it's virtually impossible for those numbers to happen. It could, they could be happening, but they are virtually impossible to see happening. Then you have video evidence. Project Veritas has released multiple videos of postal employees. Uh, we have one postal employee in Michigan saying, "I'm going to do what I can to get you some ballots." A nice little handful to an individual. Another postal employee saying that he was instructed to separate backdated late mail-in ballots so that they were marked for November 3rd. Um, we have in Philadelphia the Trump campaign winning an argument to allow legal obs observation that was not happening. That was one in the court in Philadelphia, and then you had Philadelphia going back and trying to fight that. I'm not sure why you would go back and try to fight that. Unless something nefarious was going on, but maybe you don't want uh, legal observance. But what had been happening, because there was like, no, they were in there. In some wards, they were, but not in every ward. And someone who is standing 20 feet away, which was the case in this instance where the, the court in Philadelphia said, yeah, no, Democrats, you can't do that. Uh, uh, Republican poll watchers who are being forced to stand 20 feet away and use binoculars are not observers under the legal definition of that term. They are not observers unless they can actually physically see what the ballot counters are doing. Now, there were many instances where poll watchers were in place. And then you had the boarding up instance in, uh, in, in Michigan as well, which looked highly unfortunate and very suspicious. And some are now saying, well, that's because the, there was a mob trying to mob the room. Well, no. The, okay. First of all, if you're upset about a mob of people trying to observe the election and they are peacefully standing there requesting access to a room, but you're not upset about a mob of people looting and destroying a city with bricks and fire and Molotov cocktails, maybe maybe we need to redefine your definition of mob. Uh, but it does appear that there were many individuals who were trying to get uh, information and access and record what was happening in that area. So the, the boarding up was to prevent the recording that was being done by individuals outside who were not poll watchers. However, we have other instances in Michigan where you were not seeing a, a accurate representation. You're supposed to have both equal numbers of Democrat and Republican observers. We have multiple instances where eyewitnesses are saying that did not happen. Uh, we have ballot watchers, eyewitnesses saying that you had uh, over 100,000 votes arriving in different vehicles in the middle of the night once most poll watchers had left and then being counted and the majority of those going to Biden. Um, but you know, it, 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 
eyewitness accounts from those on the right must be false. And right-leaning poll watchers, their fears about intimidation are irrelevant. But, but you know, that's everybody else's fears. Boarding up in, boarding up in a, a precinct so nobody can watch, that is a relevant fear. But the poll watchers that are saying they're being intimidated, they're being walked out, they're being denied their rights, their concerns are invalid. Do you see how we have a kind of a one-sided situation here, it seems like? So, yeah, we have fraud happening. There are real, verifiable instances of fraud, and then there are many others that have not yet been verified, some that have been debunked, and I would argue many that we don't even know about. But if you take a step back, take a step back from the fraud for a minute, and this is something that is also interesting, to just look at generic raw data. The Republican Party thus far has picked up six House seats. Democrats thus far have lost five House seats. And they're still counting going on. Looks like Republicans are likely to pick up one, maybe two more House seats. Giving the Democrats probably just a six-seat advantage in the House. Across the country... Republicans have done very well in state legislature. Politico put it this way, a decade of power, state house wins position GOP to dominate redistricting. Okay, Democrats focused a lot on the presidential election. They spent big money to try and take control of state legislatures, but they lost in many key areas. And now they are going to be sitting on the sidelines when we have redistricting maps drawn across this country that are going to affect not only how many representatives states will get in Congress and whether those representatives are more likely to be Republicans or Democrats based on how the districts are redrawn, but also how many electoral college votes are given to a state based on the number of representatives they then have. The se- so so the how the in the in state legislatures the Republicans did very well in the House they gained seats the Senate they are most likely to retain their majority I've had people ask me about this uh, because I predicted this earlier early on in the week that the Republicans would hold the Senate I still hold to that I believe uh, that the um, Republicans uh, are going to be at 50 seats going into the Georgia runoffs. It looks like both of the Georgia Senate races are going to go to runoffs. Uh, If they keep both those seats, which I think that they will, I think when Biden is declared a winner, you will see uh, an outpouring of support for Republicans like never before in this country. But I'll talk about that more in just a little bit here. Sorry, this one might go a little long today. But uh, I think the two seats in Georgia will stay red. I think that Republicans will hold that and have a 52-seat majority in the Senate, which is going to largely handicap uh, Biden's agenda and uh, and goals. So that's that's some good news, some very good news uh, for Republicans. And all of these gains and holds show, again, that Trump and his agenda were not largely rejected, or at least his agenda was not largely rejected by the American people. And in fact, I'm going to tell you why Trump himself was not largely rejected by the American people in just a few minutes. But it is interesting that in states that heavily re-elected GOP candidates down ballot, that the president is losing. Now, you're going to see some fall off. There are going to be anti-Trump people on the right that aren't going to vote for Trump on the top of the ticket, but will vote red through the bottom of the ticket. But it's unlikely that you will see someone vote for uh, a Democrat, that is, vote for Biden at the top of the ticket, and then switch to voting Republican down ballot. So that, uh, that leaves also some questions. Not to mention the chain of custody issues that are being found in these battleground states that have created a massive legal case uh, for the president. But okay, um, let's see. Oh, 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 also, don't forget, let's, let's go back to Al Gore for a second. In 2000, we had a 37-day recount process in which he urged the courts, again, to permit recounts only in the places where he thought he could find additional votes for himself. And if you doubt that or you say, well, that's just simply not true... Why don't you read the book that his lawyer, David Boyes, wrote about the situation? Because that will outline it pretty clearly for you. And then you'll know whether or not we should be spending the next four years constantly reminding people that Joe Biden is an illegitimate president who stole the election through voter fraud and is compromised by Chinese communist money. 
or something like that. I mean, if we're doing unto the others as they did unto us sort of thing, and if we're just supposed to act like they acted because they're saying that they acted so beautifully, well, then that's what you would get. We have photo evidence of poll workers inside Philadelphia and other polling places wearing Joe Biden masks. That is literally a crime. You cannot demonstrate visible bias towards a candidate inside of a polling place. WKYT in Kentucky reported in October that a postal worker was fired and is facing charges after trashing 100 absentee ballots. KBLS in L.A. reported that over 400,000 ballots were mailed to people who had moved or died. In Gwinnett County, Georgia, voters claim their voter registration shows they signed up for and were mailed absentee ballots that were then counted, but that they never requested absentee ballots. And then, of course, you have the very large vote dumps that have been favoring Biden and not one of them favoring uh, Trump, which is expected to happen in mail-in voting. Trump, Trump voters were likely much more likely to vote in person. However, it is kind of suspicious, the margins of those vote dumps. Because, you know, if the parties were reversed and just enough votes to keep Trump in the lead kept materializing, seemingly out of nowhere. Oh, we have 20,000 votes left to count. Actually, wait, no, it's 60,000 votes left to count. Actually, wait, no, it's actually this many... Like, how do, how do these vote numbers keep changing all throughout the week of how many are left to be counted? That is what people do not get. It's not that people don't want every vote counted. They're questioning the process of how this is happening. I mean, it, it, and if the roles were reversed, if Trump just kept magically... and Okay, I shouldn't use that word because some of you are going to get mad. But if it kept happening to where in battleground states they would say, oh, we have 20,000 ballots left to count. Actually, no, we have 60,000 ballots left to count. And every time that number changed, the total moved in the direction of Trump every single time. Then, uh, <laughs> and, and, and showed Trump continuing to climb and become more and more victorious with every little time of, oh, we have more to count now. Oh, we actually have more to count now. This country would be on fire, literally. But what people are telling me I need to believe is that a party that endorses infanticide and the killing of babies up to and even after birth, that, uh, that, that doesn't speak out against burning American cities to the ground, that accused Kavanaugh of being a gang rapist, and who's telling me that the FBI is who we need to trust, when that same FBI is sitting on a laptop of incredibly scandalous evidence regarding Hunter Biden, the, the party that is embracing communism and Marxism and mob rule, that this party that endorses all of these things is absolutely above election fraud, I just have a hard time buying that it could never happen. I really do. And saying that every single instance is just a conspiracy and a lie from Trump and that every single person who is an eyewitness to the fraud that they're claiming or who's on video saying that they are going to commit fraud, that all of these peoples are, people are liars? All of them? I have a difficult time with that. So while I will say that I believe that Biden will be declared the winner of this election, I will not say that I believe that he was elected or that he will be elected legitimately. I just can't say that right now. And here's the thing. I wouldn't even have been surprised if Biden had won the election fair and square. In fact, before the election, I told several of my good friends that my head was saying that Biden was going to win. There just wasn't a way for him to lose. It was there, and I am absolutely willing to believe the election results are honest whether or not Trump loses. That's not the issue. But for me, it's just not a given anymore. It just doesn't seem like the votes matter as much as perhaps the vote counters right now. And our electoral process needs to be transparent and clear, and there should be good explanations for anything and everything that looks weird because that's how a Republican democracy works and every American should support full and thorough investigations into any and all potential voter fraud I do not know why this is controversial I do not know why we could have three plus no basically four years of nonsense regarding Russian interference when there is way more potential evidence related to voter fraud than there ever was of Russian interference but this stuff now is not supposed to matter because it's on the opposite side. It just makes no sense. The hypocrisy level in American mindset is absolutely mind-blowing. If your guy does it, it's bad. If my guy does it, it's good. On every single turn, we see this. And then there's this concern. People have asked me about, well, but if the Democrats get away with it this time, if they win by cheating, won't they just keep cheating, and then it won't matter in the future? That's what they want you to think. They don't want you to vote anymore. Don't you guys get... 
yes, of course they will try to keep cheating. That's why we need to overhaul the entire process. We need to make sure this sort of thing doesn't happen again. There should not be widespread doubt in the American populace, whether it's about Russia, whether it's about hanging chads, whether it's about voter fraud in 2020, there should not be widespread doubt about the legitimacy of an election. So we need to deal with our systems and get our systems better so that this sort of thing doesn't happen in the future, just like Florida did after 2000. I'll talk about that more in a minute. But Steve D said this. He said, when you get to define what voter fraud is, you can't commit it. When you get to define what a baby is, you can't kill it. When you get to define what the news is, you can't fake it. And when you get tenured, and oh no, and then you get tenured to indoctrinate a generation. Even now we have suckers on our own side, he means the right, pleading for pause and perspective, as if their sanctimonious supermaturity will be returned and appreciated by the mob outside of Lot's house. They're either woefully naive or E.G. Robinson's Dathan in the Ten Commandments. That is so incredibly well said. But Anyway, let me go back here. Let's say that Biden actually won fair and square. Now, I doubt this very much. However, if you had counted all ballots ahead of time, we wouldn't be having this issue right now, right? People would assume that it was done correctly because it wouldn't look like you just knew how many votes you needed to make up and then somehow kept finding more and more until it was just enough to flip the results. And then, mysteriously, there's no more to find now that the other guy is winning. I mean, Chick-fil-A, as has been commonly said, could have done this better. It seems. American Idol processes millions of votes in a single commercial break. I'm not saying that we should go to an electronic voting process. I'm just saying, clearly, there must be better ways. This is what Florida does. They require voter ID. No same-day registration is allowed. Early and absentee votes are counted and usually completely posted an hour after the polls close on election day. This is one of the instances, rare as they may seem, where we could all learn something from Florida. These are my suggestions. Okay, for how to create tangible, realistic change to our electoral process. Uh, we need to make Election Day a federal holiday. We need to open up more polling places. We need to ensure that only and always there are an equal number of poll watchers for both Republicans and Democrats in every single place where ballots are being counted. Every time. And only those amount of poll watchers. Uh, everyone who goes to vote must vote with an ID in person on election day and in some fashion be able to see that their vote has been accurately recorded. Maybe there's an online record that shows who you voted for that you can check. The only exception to voting in person with an ID on election day would be for those who request an absentee ballot prior to the election and provide ID proof for that ballot that all mail-in ballots and that then we have all those mail-in ballots are required to be received in enough time prior to the election to ensure adequate time for counting of those ballots and that each state must declare up front prior to election day how many ballots it has received by their mail-in deadline and that no additional mail-ins can be added to that number following that announcement that they make. That would solve, in my opinion, based on everything that I am seeing that people are complaining about or having an issue with, except maybe uh, Russia, but that would solve all of these issues. It would have solved Al Gore's issues. It would solve election day fraud issues. Now, granted, fraud will still happen with mail-in ballots, but this would go a really, really long way. So that's my take on the voting process. It should be clear. It should be transparent. It should be American, not dictatorial, not hidden behind closed doors, not ballots continually being added to the total until the results change, and then all of a sudden there's no more ballots left. Now, I got to cover one more thing and then I and then I got to wrap this up getting long. But uh the popular vote. Okay. Yes, again, Biden got more votes than any other president in history. I don't deny that. Donald Trump also got more votes than any other president in history. It was a huge turnout. For for both sides. Sorry, I had to get a drink of water. Um and a larger percentage of every minority voted for Trump this year than in 2016. So impeachment didn't really help the Democrats. Antifa BLM didn't really help the Democrats. The media affirming everything Pelosi did and excusing Antifa BLM really didn't help the Democrats. They're going to get the White House and they're going to lose a lot pretty much everywhere else. But the Electoral College. So the latest talking point is that the Electoral College is racist, therefore it should be abolished. Now, 
Uh, most people that will tell you that the Electoral College is racist do not know why the Electoral College is racist, or they will say something about, well, it's the three-fifths person, and therefore it's racist. Okay. Well, if you think that it was racist, let's, uh, let's talk about it. Because it, it, you'll notice that the Electoral College wasn't racist until very recent history when it became commonplace to just call anything we don't like racist in order to make it bad. Because now if something is racist and you stand up for it, you're bad. Does that, are you following me? So we just deem, let's, let's say it was McDonald's. We just say McDonald's is racist. If you then say, well, I like to eat at McDonald's, now you are racist because culture has determined that McDonald's is racist. So you're not allowed to defend McDonald's anymore. Regardless of any facts or history, you, you're just not allowed because now we've determined that it's racist. So, so let's talk about this. A guy named Alan Calandro wrote in a, a, a piece on this over at the, the CT Mirror. Okay. And he talks about the guy that has populated or made popular this theory. It was the Hartford Courant, an op-ed written by a guy named Ed Marcus, who was the former chairman of the Connecticut Democratic Party. He said that the Electoral College is a last vestige of racism. And this is what the rebuttal is. To that, that piece is what made this argument commonplace in America today. Calandro writes this, he said, Marcus's assessment of the Electoral College is nothing short of ignorant, especially considering he did himself some research beforehand. Marcus confuses the three-fifth apportionment with the Electoral College, which are vastly different things. The rationale behind the Electoral College has nothing to do with the popular vote, nor with the three-fifth count given to slaves when the U.S. Constitution was approved. The crafters of our nation's constitution created a U.S. legislative body that contained two houses to prevent the small population states from being overpowered by the larger ones. According to the first census in 1790, the largest colony at the time was nine times as large as the smallest, including a count of women and slaves. Without women, slaves, white male youth, and others who were then not allowed to vote, the population discrepancy was about the same. Now, why would a small state give up its independence to join a federation where federal representation was based strictly on population? Therefore, the enticement for small states to come on board was to establish two separate government houses, one based on population, the House of Representatives, and one based on an equal number of legislative representatives for each state, or the Senate. This ensured that small states could not routinely be overpowered by the larger ones. The number of electors in the Electoral College is equal to the number of representatives that a state has. So in Connecticut's case, we get seven because we have two senators and five House members. The same exists for all other states, except that Washington, D.C. is not a state and has no congressional representation, but is still allotted three electors. We should really look at that. The Electoral College is simply a reflection of this system. Our country's founders, like Alexander Hamilton, thought it safer to have electors that were specifically separate from the actual representatives to avoid any sense of permacy or illegitimate influence since they existed for that time only and that purpose only, which was to cast their state's votes for the president. Granted, the three-fifth apportionment for slaves to decide the number of elected representatives in the House was, by definition, racist. There is no debate there. But that fact has no relevance to the incendiary claim that the presidential popular vote or the Electoral College is by nature based on racism. It's simply not true. Now, beyond that, even if the Electoral College was built on the three-fifths rule, which it was not. It was built on the, the division of representatives and senators and how the small states were able to feel welcome and have a place at the table because of that division. So it wasn't. But, but let's say that it was. Even if it was. If the three-fifths rule was what the Electoral College was built on and the three-fifths rule was obviously blatantly racist, well, the three-fifths rule is no longer in use. So the argument that the Electoral College is currently racist is inherently flawed. Even if you want to argue that its, in, that its origins were racist, which they were not. But even if you wanted to argue that, it doesn't exist today. But if what you're actually saying is that we should abolish anything with any trace of racism in its past, okay, then Planned Parenthood should be the first to go. Let's get rid of Planned Parenthood, which is blatantly has a racist founding as well, and then, you know, we can talk about the Electoral College. And by the way, the Planned Parenthood is still uh, butchering, and yes, I use that word purposefully, butchering minority children in larger numbers than white children, in case you were wondering. So, I mean, so just to be consistent, 
if we're going to talk the three-fifths rule, then we should probably also get rid of Planned Parenthood. But that's not all, okay? That's not all. Let, let's keep with this three-fifths thing for a minute. Did you know that it was actually abolitionists who argued for the three-fifths rule? Now, why would they do that? Why would northern anti-slave states argue for the three-fifths rule? Was it just so they could stay in power? Not quite. And also, the Constitution never stated that black people only count, counted rather as three-fifths of a person. It said the term that was used was free person. So this is what Article 1, Section 2 said. It said, according to their respective numbers, which shall be determined by adding to the whole number of free persons, including those bound to service for a term of years and excluding Indians not taxed, three-fifths of all other persons. This three-fifths clause was because slave states at that time wanted to include slaves in their census numbers because that would give them more seats in the House. So, the House and Senate situation has already been determined. Slave owners are looking at the situation and saying, if we get uh, slaves counted, we will have more representation in the House and be able to further uh, develop our agenda. Abolitionists, they responded and said, no, that will not be the case because you do not let black individuals, your slaves, you do not let them vote. They do not have no, they, they have no representation in your states. So therefore, you're not going to represent them in Congress when you don't even represent them in your state. You just want to pad your numbers. Obviously, that's not the direct quote of what they said, but that's a general idea. If slaves had been counted for the purpose of the Senate, it would have incentivized the, incentivized the South to keep slavery alive and expand it even more than they did. The way the Constitution was worded, Southern states would have immediately gained significant power in the government if they would have just ended slavery. So, the three-fifths clause was actually an incentive to Southern states to eliminate slavery. All they had to do was abolish slavery. This is what abolitionists were getting at. Abolitionists said, hey, you know what? Cool. You want more, you want more representation in Congress? Then let the black people that you are enslaving in your states go free. And once they become free, now they are counted in your census, and now you will instantly receive more... Well, obviously, you'd have to wait till the, the maps are drawn. But you get the idea. Within months... Or most years, too, I think, uh, you will receive more representation in Congress. And this isn't like some big secret. You can do the research on this. Southern states wanted slaves counted as full persons. Abolitionists said they shouldn't count at all. Three-fifths was the compromise that was made. Abolitionists did not want them counted because they were trying to incentivize slave states to free the slaves. Abolitionists cared more about the freedom of the slaves than they did about their own numbers in Congress. And anyone who tells you that it's a terrible thing that the Constitution only counted slaves as three-fifths of a person is effectively arguing that they wish that the states that had slavery in place had had more power in our federal government at that time. And that's why this, this, this three-fifths argument is so bad. Our Constitution never actually says uh, that, that, uh, that black people were three-fifths of a person. And the reason that a slave wasn't counted as a full person was not about racism. It was part of an attempt, part of a strategic attempt to end slavery in this country long before the Civil War ever happened. So effectively, to summarize, anyone arguing that enslaved blacks should have counted as a full person when the Constitution, uh, in, this, in this instance, uh, what they're referring to, those individuals are siding with the slave owners. And yes, that's going to infuriate some people, but it's simply historical fact. You can research this. Abolitionists were the ones arguing against slaves being counted as full people. And you need to understand why they were doing that. It was very, very strategic, and it had absolutely nothing to do with racism. Instead, it had everything to do with their attempts to see the southern states free the slaves and to twist them, to twist their arm, essentially, into getting them to do the right thing. And then, and then, beyond all that, <laughs> this, this popular vote thing. Let me, let me just touch on this for a minute. The popular vote does not reflect the majority of the American people. 
and some of you just just your heads are exploding right now and you just want to write all the angry things at me online okay let me finish the popular vote represents the majority of voters okay not the majority of Americans. We usually see about 60% of eligible voters turn out. This year it was 73%. That still leaves over one-fourth of our country's voters that aren't even represented in the popular vote. But not only that, we have 153 roughly million eligible voters out of over 331 million Americans. So, how is the one-fourth of voters that simply have not come out to vote, not to mention the other 178 million people, how are they represented? They're represented through the Electoral College. They are represented through their state. It's just that simple. So if you really want to talk about how not all Americans are represented because we don't use the popular vote, no, 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 no. The popular vote does not represent all Americans. The popular vote does not even represent all voting Americans. So if you want to talk about a system that is fair and equitable and just for all Americans, that system is the Electoral College because that is the system that goes by the states. And a state is most reflective of the will of its people, much more so than America as a whole. I mean, you can look at a map and you can say red state, red state, red state, blue state, blue state, blue state, red state, red state, red state, and then you have some that are on the edge. But by and large, red states, blue states. People are represented largely by their state. Okay, I've got like five minutes to wrap this up. I will tell you one thing. Um, we have Joe Biden now calling for peace and that we should stop treating our opponents like our enemies after he claimed all year long, essentially, that Trump was personally responsible for people dying from COVID. And he called the Tea Party Republicans terrorists. The Atlantic has a story on that one. For all you fact checkers that want to check the facts from the side that you agree with, go see the Atlantic. Um, but I, what I think is most damaging in this situation is those on the left that are saying that Trump is a liar and that people who are saying that there is any sort of basis to any kind of fraud are simply ignorant and repeating his lies. Because, you know, they watch CNN and they watch MSNBC and they watch the news so they know. Well, you know, I, uh, I've, I've been employed to do research and present... Uh, research based on political issues. I've, I've actually been on CNN as a contributor. Um, and so when people say these things that are like, when, when if you present something and people respond and say, you're just repeating Trump's lies, that person is then automatically assuming that you are incapable of doing your research and implying that you have not done any work on your own and that you are just spouting what you have heard. That is highly unfortunate and very condescending and derogatory. For the side that is all, you know, peace, love, and tolerance. Just wanted to throw that out there. But last but not least, some news, good news to you conservative types, right? Ben Shapiro pointed this out, and I keep reminding people of this. This election did not give the Democrats power. Yes, Biden is most likely going to win the White House right now, but Tuesday was a terrible day for Democrats, okay? Um, the, the GOP, as I said earlier, likely to maintain the Senate. The GOP is maintaining state houses and gaining some in a redistricting year. The GOP gaining House seats. Um, will Pelosi be the vice president because Biden's going to have a, a, an episode and step aside and Kamala becomes president? It could be, but the Democrats are so unhappy at the overall election results that there are rumors that Pelosi may be a goner as the, the House Speaker, which could make things very interesting. Another thing that I'm encouraged about is that we now know that Trump had uh, garnered 81% of the evangelical vote total. Biden won the lowest share of the self-identified uh, evangelical vote. I believe the, the lowest share of evangelical vote ever for a Democratic presidential nominee, even in a record turnout year, uh, both for voters in general and for evangelicals. Another reason I'm encouraged... I believe if Biden is declared victorious, that his agenda is going to drive a resurgence of the right in this country in ways never before seen in my lifetime. If you think the left was fired up about removing Trump, think the whole not my president and resist culture, just wait until you see how the right is going to feel about the 2020 results and more so about Kamala Harris if she ascends and her record and agendas come to light. We're going to see Tea Party 2.0 level energy going into the next election. 
Trump may run, run again if his health continues. He can. Uh, so it's just time, you know, this is not the time to give up. This is not the time to walk away. This is the time to buckle in, strap up, get ready for the fight because the most important election of our lifetime is right around the corner in 2024. And so uh, while I'm ready to predict that Joe Biden will be declared the winner, I am not ready to say that he will win legitimately. Like the many Americans who questioned and continue to question the legitimacy of the 2016 election, many others, including myself, will likely be questioning the legitimacy of this election for a very long time uh, to come. And, and I am convinced that if or when Biden is declared victorious, you are going to see a Donald Trump president who has absolutely nothing to lose and things are going to get very, very interesting. We're going to have declassifications. We're going to have data dumps. It is going to get absolutely wild here, folks. Also, expect the Hunter Biden fiasco uh, to absolutely explode. Now, I was going to wrap things up right there and tell you, just kind of put a little nice bow on this, but I actually, I paused the podcast because I got a message on Facebook from my grandmother, who is 90 years old. This is what my grandmother sent to her family uh, this morning. She said, as I live daily watching dad or my grandfather with dementia, I see ahead a nation who may with positive expectations view the future through political lenses as it's no big deal. But if indeed there will be a massive change of direction for the coming years, voting in a man who, like dad, is dealing with changes as serious as I see in my heart and home, then I question the integrity of those who have used him as their pawn in this election to gain a following. We are viewing a pre-planned overtake of our nation found on truth. To use Biden as a scapegoat into the world of socialism, communism, and Marxism is cruel to even him personally. It came as no surprise to me that the pandemic in an election year would be a tool of political advantage. Blame Trump and gloat over the pain of the number of deaths as if he had the expertise to send in an instant miracle of healing balm over the land became an, attalking, an attacking point for an election. Attacking a man's character becomes easy for others who have hidden character flaws also as part of the game. Name-calling when I was a youngster was used by every bully I ever saw. On and on we go. Hiding your dementia candidate and spinning political circles onward appears to me as part of the whole. I sure never went to a football game where only one team were active in the game and the others were sitting on the bench. Now, I may not be the smartest kid on the block, but life experience of 90 years shall qualify me a certificate in some areas. I've witnessed thousands of people at massive rallies and marveled at the crowds, and so have you. Tell me, please, just where the other side has been hiding down in their basement together, coming into this upheaval in the land. Now my own realizations come to mind. What am I missing? There are things that I've noticed in the last three years. People and industries restoring to work. Having lived in Detroit all those years ago, I saw the demise of the auto industry. I saw large factories closing. I saw massive-sized buildings which housed these large businesses sitting empty. I saw the race riots in 1967 that killed 50 people as the police were told to stand down. I saw the deterioration of neighborhoods where men were out of work. I saw the massive increase in crime. Am I blind or dumb? Detroit's population went from over a million to 400,000 as families moved to places like Texas to get work. I saw in Pennsylvania empty buildings and warehouses empty with shut doors. Yes, the countries in Asia are now producing for us. Yes, made in China is a phrase we all know. So these last years, I personally rejoiced to see economic growth. Our personal funds had been stagnant for the last several years under former administrations. We are dependent personally on that growth to keep going till the end. So the last couple years, they were going nicely. I foresee we and many others will be in reverse if a massive change is coming. Not only is this concern, but the issue of killing babies is so repugnant to my mind that to tamper with God's business is an area that I cannot stand behind. The other issue that is of concern is the Middle East. Doors have, been, uh, doors have been opened to move ours and now other countries' embassies to Jerusalem. This is of end times issues. Of course, Satan objects, uh, Sat of course, Satan's object of hatred has been where God planted his chosen people. I now envision a new, or old, hatred rising again. Satan loves to torment and bring conflict. Sorry, but I cannot condone anti any anti-Israel issues again. So you can agree or judge me, but here I stand. That was the message from my 90-year-old grandmother to her family this morning. And that's where I want to wrap things up today. See, regardless of who wins, and I've stated this previously and partially outlined it in today's podcast. Now, I haven't talked about it very much, though, but I don't think 
that we are going to see drastic change in our country over the next few years. Change comes slowly. Change often comes by infiltration, not in drastic measures. You're not going to see the courts get packed. You're not going to see the Green New Deal get implemented. But you will see the continued erosion of Christianity in our culture if Christians do not take a stand. So what do we as conservative, as Christian conservative Americans do now? What do we do now when Biden is elected president? I would argue, at least for myself and and probably for most of you who are listening, that we do exactly what we have done over the last two, four, six, eight, ten years. And that is that we pray for the president, whomever that may be. That is that we love our neighbors, whoever they may be. That is that we represent Jesus well in what we do and how we live. And regardless of who's governing, whether that be the president or our governor or our mayor, we call those people out. We pray for them and we honor them because of the position that they hold, but that does not mean that we agree with everything they do or that if we disagree with something that they do, that that is unchristian. No. Jesus called political leaders vipers. Okay? We call people out, people that are in authority, when they do things that we believe are harmful to our country. And we applaud them when they institute pro-America, pro-family, pro-constitutional, pro-God policies because we are Christians, we are conservatives, we are Americans, and that is what we do. And most importantly, again, we pray. We pray, we ask God to continue to bless and have mercy on our country. We don't walk away. We don't stop engaging. That is what the left wants. They want you so disillusioned, discouraged, and disenfranchised that you just stop caring. That is not the answer. Because if your foundation is Jesus, then no matter who sits in the White House, there is not cause for you to be disillusioned or discouraged because you plus Jesus is always a majority. And in the end, when it's all over, Jesus always wins. You're on his side. You win every day because you are on the side of Jesus. And if you're not, you should be. I encourage you to visit truelife.org and you can find the answers to many of life's most common questions, including how you can be on Jesus' side uh, on that website. It's a great, great resource. Uh, All right, Trump could run again in 2024. And he very well might. But if, if, if Biden remains the winner of this once the courts have done their thing, I really hope Dan, Dan Crenshaw from Texas runs for president in 2024 because I really want to vote for him. Either that or Noam from South Carolina, or maybe both on the same ticket together. But I hope it's Dan Crenshaw. And again, I may have missed if you sent me a question. I might not have seen it. If I missed anything that you were still having concerns about that I have not yet addressed on social media or in this podcast, feel free to continue to reach out to me. I will answer as many questions, concerns as I can, as quickly as I can throughout this process. And I thank you guys so much for being engaged. Thank you for caring about and praying for our country. And we will see you next time here on The Frittle Show.